In this episode, Matthew Burrows, President of Skills TX and a Sophia accredited consultant and assessor, speaks to us about Sophia and why he has built an online platform to support his clients. Although Sophia is used in nearly 200 countries, it is unknown to many organizations. Matthew makes a distinction between knowledge, skills, proficiency, and competencies, and the importance of treating individuals as much more than their job description. But unfortunately, too few organizations know how much more. He explains how accurate data facilitates more accurate decision-making and assists in plugging skills gaps. He saves considerable time and money on training and recruitment by focusing training on known gaps in knowledge and helping existing employees reach their full potential. Despite, or because of, a working life spent around technology, Matthew summed it up with, it's all about people and skills, no matter how clever we are with the tech. Welcome to this episode of Implementing Best Practice in Business. We're here to help you and your organization understand and implement global best practice to help you face the business challenges of today. Join me, Richard Farrow, CEO of APMG International, in talking to leaders and practitioners who have applied these frameworks and practices to boost their productivity. They're here, willing to share their knowledge and experience to help you learn from them so you can do the same to make you more competitive in today's market. My guest today is Matthew Burrows. I see Matthew as a modern renaissance man with skills ranging from management to music and much in between. In his early career, he was involved in IT operations and project management when he was a frequent contributor to service management and project management standards and publications. Matthew served as president of the Institute of Service Management and is recognized as an international thought leader. Since 2010, Matthew has been a member of the Sophia Council and is their global design authority. In 2015, he decided to help organizations deal with their skills gap, so he pivoted his business to focus on Sophia and has become one of the leading Sophia partners. Matthew works with companies and governments looking at how they can improve their digital skills and increase the maturity of their organizations. He also helps them develop strategies to find, train, retain people involved in digital, ICT, cyber, and indeed any other technology-focused profession. Welcome, Matthew. Hi, Richard. Nice to talk to you. Matthew, what is Sophia? What is it? And, And in particular, why did you have to build an online platform to help people understand it and to use it? Yeah, good question, Richard. Well, I guess let's start with the easy bit. What is Sophia? So Sophia is the skills framework for the information age. It's um, an internationally adopted set of definitions for skills and competencies, but specifically for the skills that cover digital, IT, cybersecurity, data science, system and software engineering, any any technology-related specialism. It's been around for over 20 years, and it's actually used in nearly 200 countries around the world. So it's actually got really good coverage translated into lots of languages. But it's basically a common language. We we need a common language to describe things. You know, if you want me to meet you somewhere, you're going to use the accepted language of place names, you know, the name of the town, the name of the street, the name of the building, so that I understand and I can uh, translate that and, and find my way. And Sophia's a bit like that, but for skills and competencies. Why did we create a platform for supporting people in using Sophia? Well, 
skills and competencies are changing much more rapidly than they did a few years ago. And that's both the skills that we have as individuals and also the skills that we need, whether that's for a job, role, project, uh, agile sprint, or even an individual task. So actually trying to maintain those two data sets, what skills we have, what skills we need, in a spreadsheet is just completely impractical. So that's where we created the Skills TX platform. It was really based on what we did as Sophia Consultants, helping customers, but moving to a situation where they could help themselves and they could do it themselves, keep skill profiles up to date when skills change, update their skill requirements and so on. So I'm intrigued by this, Matthew. So Sophia's been around for 20 years. It's used in over 100 countries. So when you talk to a new client that's never heard of Sophia, do they ever tell you why they haven't already adopted it, bearing in mind on how widespread it currently is? Yes, absolutely. Um, well, actually, it's nearly 200 countries, Richard. So I think last time we checked, it was something like 186, 190-something. It's, it's pretty widespread. But actually, part of the reason that people don't adopt it is because they haven't heard of it. And that's really because actually the organization, the Sophia Foundation that organizes the framework is a not-for-profit organization. And most people that use Sophia can use it freely or they, they don't pay a lot to use it. So actually that means there's not a lot of marketing budget. So if you haven't happened to come across Sophia, then you're ignorant about it. You just don't know it's there. If you don't know it's there, you're not going to use it. So that's one of the main reasons people don't use it is they just haven't heard of it. But for those that have heard, then actually their reasons for not adopting it yet are, are quite often that they it hasn't risen to the top of their priority list. They sort of recognize that we need to do something about people and skills. It's not always about the technology, but actually they're under a lot of pressure. And they quite often say to me, well, yeah, we'll do something a bit later, but we need to finish this digital transformation project first, or we need to complete this reorganization. And the sad thing is that actually, if they had the data on what skills they have and what skills they need, and they'd already adopted Sophia, that digital transformation, that project, that reorg would be much easier to do. So you say it would have been easier to do. How easy is it for an organization to, I don't know what the right word is, to use Sophia, to adopt Sophia? I would imagine that like a lot of these things, you know, it's quite easy when you read the instructions on the tin, but it's a hell of a lot more difficult when you open the tin and you try to do something. So how easy is it? Well, the good news is it's much easier than most people fear. Um, it's extremely easy to get hold of the Sophia framework. You can download it from the Sophia Foundation website, download the PDFs. You can see all of the content there. But like most frameworks and tools, it is possible to use it badly if you're not careful. So the good news is that there's actually lots of help available to help you use it well and to get maximum value from Sophia. You can do it all yourself. You can get some help from a Sophia-based tool. You maybe might want to supplement it with a bit of Sophia training, which is available, or some professional services support from Sophia-accredited partners and consultants. It depends on your implementation preferences, but because it's much easier than most people think, 
and there's this material to make sure that you don't make the common mistakes. It's actually fairly simple. So once an organisation has started the work to adopt Sophia, to roll Sophia out into their organisation, what is the single most frequently cited benefit that people have? And I won't lead you with some suggestions that come to my mind. So yeah, what is the single most frequently cited benefit? Yeah, good question, because, of course, every organization's starting in a slightly different place. But actually, I, I guess if I were going to try and summarize it, it's actually knowing which skills and competencies you have. So actually having good, accurate data really allows you to make some much better decisions. Back to that sort of reference to navigation, you know, if I'm plotting a route somewhere, if I don't know where I'm starting from, all of my options of routes are going to be wrong. So you've got to have a firm baseline. You've got to know what skills you have now. And that is the biggest benefit because they will confirm the skills they thought they had. They will also find some skills that they didn't know they had in the organization. And a lot of those will be skills that they need. And now they know they've got them, they can use them. They know where they are. They don't need to go and try and seek them from outside. They also get a few shocks. They find out some skills they thought they had that actually they don't have. But it's much better than knowing that before that lack of skills causes a data breach or a project failure or something that makes the press, which it does tend to these days with technology-related failures. So that's the biggest benefit. That's in some ways not very tangible, um, knowing the skills, because it's about what do you do with that data? That's how you're going to get the value and the benefit. And actually, one of the biggest benefits is being able to hold on to your IT and technology professionals. Because when you think about why people leave organizations, the number one reason is the lack of development opportunities. And that's purely you're not giving them the visibility of what skills they need to be really good at the job they do now and to take that next step in their career path. So actually, if you do this right, and you treat people as individuals with a unique set of skills and competencies, you identify their gaps by comparing their skills with what's needed for a role, job, or a project, and you put in place a good structured action plan that identifies which skills at which levels they need, then actually they can see the future, and they can see the future with your organization. And it tends to increase retention and reduce churn, and you have more productive and happier people, which means you can do more. That's very interesting, Matthew. I can always remember that wonderful phrase that said, I would rather invest in my people and lose them rather than not invest in my people and keep them. And from what you're saying, Sophia helps you to target the investment in people so they become even more productive for your organisation and indeed more valuable in the wider workforce. Absolutely right, Richard. I mean, there are also other side benefits from that, of course. You will um, be able to focus your training a lot more. So you'll get bigger bang for your buck when it comes to your training budget, because you won't be sending people on the wrong courses, you know, the ones that are for skills that they already have or are too high level uh, and, and not at the right level for them. So it gives you benefit there. It also helps your recruitment process. You know, if you can express what you need in terms of skills and competencies, that helps you to attract people with the right skills and competencies. It also gives you a much more unbiased approach to recruitment. It's not about who you know. 
It's about what competencies they have and, and whether they can do the role that you're recruiting them for. So much more objective, free from a lot of the biases that we otherwise might see. Um, and you, of course, you can extend the use of Sophia further than that to managing your suppliers, your contractors, your vendors, whatever it might be, making sure they are bringing into play the skills and the competencies that you need from them. Matthew, you talk about you can get more bang for your bucks. You know, you can actually invest your training budget more appropriately. You can get better value. Have any real clients ever done an ROI on this to say that, you know, since implementing Sophia and using it, we've seen a, an increased financial value of whatever the right metrics are? Yes, definitely. Some of it's hard figures, some of it's slightly more anecdotal. It does depend on the organization and how they measure it. But I've certainly had organizations say to me, we have saved money on training because in the past we were sending people to the wrong training course. They were coming back from that saying that was a waste of my time. So not only a waste of their time, but a waste of, of budget. And they could reuse that budget to send somebody on the right training course. So I, I've seen um, greater value from, from training spend, but also uh, in terms of recruitment and churn costs, if you can prevent one person from leaving the organization, then you save a lot in, in recruitment costs. You also save a lot in bringing them up to full productivity and, and learning about your organization. So they see real dollar savings, if you like, in that uh, whole recruitment and retention piece. So, yeah, there, there are there are other measures that they take, you know, employee satisfaction, uh, risk reduction. Um, I've had people directly save um, a fine from the information commissioner because they've actually got plugged the skills gap that they found. I recently read a, a Gallup survey. Not, I'm not a regular reader of Gallup, but but this one I did notice where it said, I think 51% of employees are disengaged in the workplace and 13% of employees are actively disengaged, i.e. they are doing harm in the workplace. So is the adoption of Sophia one way to try to address that, to try to encourage more engagement throughout the workforce? because training opportunities, projects people work on and can be more focused. So does it help organisations deal with that sort of wider social problem within the workforce, particularly when people are working remotely? Yes, I, I do see that happening with organisations I work with. They are, you know, they have employees that they don't quite know how to manage in this sort of new normal or whatever we're calling it this week. You, it, it, it is about being able to focus people. At, and, and as I said, it, you need to know sort of where you are now and where you want to go next for any journey. And your employees are going on that journey as well. And perhaps they need a few options of different routes as well as part of that, because not everyone will suit the same journey. So you know, they've all got slightly different mixes of skills from their past, from their previous roles, from the projects they've worked on and so on. So if used correctly, Sophia can really help. And, and the normal starting point is capture the existing skills. You need to avoid the common mistakes that I see of uh, people treating an individual as their current job description. People are so much more than that. We, we've all got different skills that are not listed on our job descriptions based on what we've done in, in our past. So take a genuine interest in finding out about your people. 
not just the subset of skills that are in their current job description. If you then also create a, a Sophia-based version of the jobs and roles in your organization and, and make that visible to them in a tool like SkillsTX, they can then be in a little bit of control of their own destiny because they can compare their skill profile with their current role or any other role that they, there is in the organization. They can do short, medium and long-term planning. They can have a much better conversation with their manager when it comes to what their focus should be for development because they're, they're looking at the skills. They're being more objective about it. And one of the things that... Uh, has been really useful recently is actually making a distinction between knowledge, theoretical understanding of something, which we quite often get through a training course, compared with skill proficiency, where we put that knowledge into practice and actually started to do some of the things that are being described by Sophia, right the way through to when we've completed our development in a particular skill and we're fully professionally competent and those three distinctions have been quite revolutionary and they're really helping a lot of people because often, you know, people go on a training course and they, they learn the knowledge and somebody makes the incorrect assumption that they've completed their development. You can throw any task at them and they'll do it perfectly and they haven't yet got the experience of doing it and the learning from actually applying it. So I'm finding that distinction is really helping individuals focus and feel more engaged in their development planning but also the organisations that have a much better relationship with their people. That's quite interesting about personal development and that move from knowledge through skill to competence. One of the problems I always think there is with a number of frameworks and a number of maturity models is everyone always thinks they have to be at the top. You know, and if you tell somebody you only need to be level two out of level five, they look at you in, in great horror saying, how can you possibly say that? I mean, how is... Sophia structured? I mean, how many skills or competencies are there? How many levels are there? And is it the case that everyone needs to be at level six or level seven or whatever it is? Or is it the case that there's an appropriate level, regardless of what you are, somewhere on the Sophia framework? Yeah, good. Very good question. The Sophia framework has got 121 skills in the current version, version eight, and it has a seven level structure. So each of those 121 skills are described at one or more of those seven levels. So that actually gives you something like 480 odd um, different combinations. You don't need everybody to have every skill at every level. That's just ridiculous. You know, if you take an individual skill and let's pick one, instant management is a good example. That's described at levels two, three, four, and five. At level two, you're answering the phone logging, categorizing, prioritizing an instant. The next level up, level three, you might be collecting data and trying to resolve it. Level four, you might be helping to supervise and make sure people are following the process and then putting in place the resolutions. And at level five, you might be managing that process. So you imagine a service desk manager, they're probably practicing that skill at level five, but depending on the organization, that might be the only level they're practicing that skill at. And you perhaps only need one person doing that, one service desk manager. The other people on the service desk don't, don't necessarily need to practice that skill at that level. They're probably practicing at levels two, three, and four, or one or more of those levels. But for another organization where perhaps the, the service desk is quite small, they might have a situation where the service desk manager, when things are busy, 
they might need to pick up the phone and start logging and categorizing calls. And therefore, their job description might include that skill at all four levels, two, three, four, and five. So Sophia's really flexible as long as you appreciate that actually it, it's not a need to automatically go up to the next level of a skill. You do activity as part of your normal working pattern at maybe different levels uh, of skills at different points during the day. So you need that experience, but uh, not everybody needs all the same skills at the same levels. Matthew, you and I read a lot about the national skills gap, that the country needs 600,000 more people in IT, or it needs so many more tens of thousands of people in cyber. You know, I'd, I'd like you to sort of you know, give your own view of this. If there was a national program that people could actually complete a severe assessment to say what their true skills were, do you think something like that could help close that skills gap? Do you think there's enough people that have got skills that are transferable and usable that organizations don't recognize because they don't have the appropriate academic qualifications or the experience to date? So could Sophia be a a national program to really understand what a country's skills and capabilities are? It definitely can, because that's exactly what I've been doing in a number of different countries around the world. So the the key here is that actually, if you want to identify what your strengths are, what your gaps are, what your targets might be, you need that common language to describe it. And unfortunately, job title alone doesn't work. So I did have somebody once say to me that everybody knows what a business analyst is. Well, that's not true, because even in the same organization, you can have two people with the same job title, business analyst, but they might do slightly different things. One of them might spend 100% of their time gathering requirements for solutions and documenting them, writing a requirement specification. I've certainly seen that with a lot of business analysts. But then in the same organization, I've seen somebody with that same job title who do that same activity, but they also contribute to the business case. They also write the acceptance criteria for the user acceptance testing and do a couple of other things. So job title alone is not enough. You have to get down to a level of detail that makes sense. And you have to have a common language for describing that. So everyone can say, well, actually, we've got a gap in, I know, program management at level six. And we've got a definition for that, a common accepted definition that actually holds water internationally. And in this, in this world, we can't afford to have something that only makes sense within our organizations or indeed only makes sense within our country. That's It's very international world, the IT world, and, and you need to be able to compare yourself with other countries. You maybe need to use something like Sophia, even in immigration decisions, uh, that, that I'm seeing in a number of countries as well. So you, you can't afford to leave it to chance. You've got to have a firm set of definitions, and then you can do exactly that. You can say, what skills do we already have? Compare that with the frameworks, which ones are missing? Which ones do we think we need? Which ones are we going to specialize in? And and some of the governments I'm working with are actually using that to um, influence their education programs for which courses, which modules, which skills they're focusing on in the education moving forward in the next 5, 10, 15 years. So definitely, I, I think it will help. 
purely because we just need that common language. Um, otherwise, we will misinterpret and misunderstand what each other's saying and we'll inadvertently end up heading in different directions. Matthew, it sounds like you have a very interesting time ahead of you helping organisations deal with these sort of massive challenges on the basis of fear. Many thanks for spending the time to talk to me today and good luck in promoting the message and reskilling the world. Thank you, Richard. It's been a pleasure talking to you. We've just got to remember it's all about people and skills, no matter how clever we are with the technology. Thank you for listening. We're always keen to hear your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. You can find all the information in the show notes below. Please visit apmg-international.com to find out more about our accredited training and the certifications that support them that are related to the topics discussed in this series. I hope you've enjoyed today and I look forward to you joining future episodes while we continue our exploration into best practice and the benefits it brings to global business. Thank you.